0: I like how you were like, uh, CFP. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Because to me, he's Lauren, right? <laughs> or low? Oh, yeah, low. I haven't quite been able to calm that to his face. But again, in emails, it's perfect. <laughs>
1: Certified retirement financial advisor, you might see after somebody's name, CRFA. The financial analyst, financial advisor, financial consultant, financial planner, investment consultant, or wealth manager are generic terms or job title.
2: They're accused of taking a page from Bernie Madoff's playbook, bilking nearly 50 victims of more than $12 million. Fixture on Wall Street, Bernie Madoff, 70 years old, arrested by the FBI. Now to Elizabeth Holmes, appearing in court to face fraud and conspiracy charges.
0: Welcome to Retiring Today, the podcast that guides you to... And through retirement, I'm Nolly Nelson, your host, and I'm here with Lord Merkel. He's a certified financial planner, he's an author, and he's a Raiders fan. Rochelle Smith is producer extraordinaire. She's a cat mom, and ooh, one more fun fact about Rochelle: she is a brilliant graphic artist. Today, we're going to talk about fraud and designations. And what we want to do for you today is help you make more informed decisions about who is helping you with your financial future, who is helping you move to and through retirement. So, in order to know the person that is helping you, we're going to give you some really good information about the designations that go along with being someone who works in this world, who works in this financial world. Because, Lauren, CFP, RICP, CPA, FRM, CAIA, FMVA. Those are just a quick search of designations I found when I looked. That's confusing. And that's just the start
1: that's not even including all the licenses that one can have as well the 6 the 63 the 24 there is just an onslaught of different licenses and de- designations that a professional can have have so as as an investment consumer as somebody who's going to be retired one day or already in retired looking for somebody to help them or has somebody already who who helps them it's important to understand what your professional has from an expertise standpoint, a licensing standpoint, and what these designations mean, and how can it really help you as you try to accomplish your financial goals.
0: Okay, so today we'll go through some of the most important designations in that list, define for you what they mean. Also, we want to talk a little about fraud, because there are some bad apples in the bunch. And those bad apples have given financial advisors a bad rap. The first one that comes to mind, Rochelle, of course, is the infamous. Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff is one that gave everybody who works in the financial world a bad rap. So 10 years ago, can you guys believe it's been 10 years already, Bernie Madoff executed the largest Ponzi scheme in history, defrauding thousands of investors out of tens of billions of dollars over the course of at least about 17 years. And Lauren, you were working in the industry at this time. Did you kind of feel the effects and the attitude of people for what was happening, of course, all the way over in New York City? city. We're here in the Midwest, but I think there was a collective skepticism about people that, are, that work in that industry.
1: And rightly so. And, and not only in 2008 did we feel the ripple effect, but we're still feeling it today because people are still talking about Bernie Madoff and all the billions of dollars that he took from investors and the effects that it's having, still having today on those investors' lives. And so it's probably at least a couple times a month, we get questions of how do we know you're not a Bernie Madoff? Still, ten years removed from what what Bernie did, so it's uh, the rippling effect is still continuing, and rightly so. People need to know that their money is protected and it can't be taking taken from an, an investment professional like Bernie Madoff.
0: Well, and Bernie asked Donald Trump to to maybe give him a pardon, but it looks like for now Bernie Madoff will continue to stay in jail because of, because of what he did. I mean, it it was. It was the kind of thing that people trusted him. They trusted him with their money. They thought Bernie was was, was making them money in ways that were on the up and up, and clearly what he was doing uh, was illegal on many levels, and and quite frankly, just wrong. Well, I
1: mean, so he needs to stay in jail. I mean, what he did is he destroyed people's lives. I mean, people put their entire life savings with Bernie, and he did nothing but squander it away and use it for his own own uh, selfish reasons and reasons. A quote from him, people asked him why he did what he did and he, admittedly he said, I don't know. He said, I had all the money I needed for my family and for myself. I don't know why I did it. So, I mean, it's just it's just useless selfish Selfish green.
0: And more recently, a financial advisor uh, started in Jamaica, had a clientele of really working class people, um, blue collar type of people that were getting closer to retirement or maybe already in retirement. And they said to him, we want our money in a safe, secure place. And so he said, sure, I'll do that for you. He moves to from Jamaica to Queens, takes a lot of those clients with him and ends up Swindling these people out of up to eleven million dollars. It's a uh, guy over in Queens. His name is uh, Dean Mastafali. Well, he just pled guilty to investment fraud after originally being charged with um, uh, forging their signatures. So that would be falsifying records. Allegedly, there was some fake email accounts he was setting up for people. So again, he he had done some stuff that that just it wasn't transparent, and these people lost a lot of money. What was originally worth, uh, I think, a lot of money went down to like under a dollar, these investments that they they thought were safe and secure. Another thing a lot of people got involved in, and this really piqued your interest, Rochelle, do you want to set up for us kind of Elizabeth Holmes and how she really gave people some confidence and, and they put money behind what she was doing um, in Silicon Valley?
2: Yeah, uh, she... She had this proprietary technology that, based on a finger prick, uh, she could tell if uh, you had any medical conditions like cancer or high cholesterol, and that she's
0: actually being named the Birdie Madoff of this decade. Yeah, so she got people to invest in what was supposed to make testing easier. So. Um, it's supposed to a big blood draw. She said, "With just pricking your finger, we can test for thousands of ailments." She she went so far as to obviously convince investors to really get behind her. She got into Walgreens. I mean, she she was she was good at getting people on her side. Well, it, it turns out this test was not at all what it was cracked up to be. Um, at least according to the people that are investigating, you know what she did. She has pled not guilty to the charges, but she is facing up to 20 years. in in prison for fraud, in conspiracy to mit, to commit fraud. So another time when people really got behind what they thought was an idea, but it was based on false premises.
1: Wherever there's money or power to be gained, there's going to be some bad apples, and that's why we have the regulatory system in place to help us sort through who's the bad apples and who's legitimate out there. But that as we can see, that's not a that's not enough. So you have to be wary, you have to do your own due diligence and really really figure out who's behind the, the operation of where your money's at to make sure that your money can't be squandered away by the bad apples of the industries.
0: And Lauren, the individuals and families you work with, I've got to think that sometime they come, sometimes they come to you and they've heard about something maybe like this Thernos technology that Elizabeth Holmes uh, got up off the ground. And they say, you know, Lauren, do you think it's a good idea for us to put some money into this? What criteria do you have them use to, to assess an investment like that?
1: Gen- generally, we don't, actually. That might surprise you a little bit, Molly, because the, the way that we operate is we, we focus on the planning, we focus on the strategies. And this is one of the things we're going to talk about. On the podcast today is what types of advisors are out there. There's brokers, there's financial advisors, there's retirement planners. We fall within the retirement planning uh, community and we do invest our clients' money, but most of the time our clients don't necessarily want to know, are we buying an Apple? Are we buying a Netflix? And why are we buying Apple and Netflix? What they want to know is how do they save money on taxation? What tax strategies can they put into place to mitigate what they pay Uncle Sam in the state of Iowa? What what social security strategies can they implement of the 81 different options that they have? And so we're, we're really focused with them on developing the strategy and staying high level with the planning techniques. And then we handle the investment decisions, uh, but generally they're not, not that interested in what specific investment decisions we're making.
0: So today we're going to talk about the difference first, just setting the stage between an accumulation advisor and a retirement planner. What are the main differences?
1: A retirement planner does focus on the strategy. It focus on, focuses on the comprehensive written re- written plan and we break that down to five different categories. We have the income piece. When you retire, you still need income. Where's the income going to come from? From all the different resources that you have. How do you mitigate the impact of taxation? Taxes are the number one wealth eroding factor when it comes to retirement planning. So we have to plan to mitigate the impact of Uncle Sam within the, the, the portfolio that you have. The healthcare, long-term care piece, the estate planning piece, and then the investment planning piece is one segment, one component of the overall plan. So we focus on the strategy, the comprehensive written plan. Investment advisors generally will just focus on the investment piece. So what mutual funds are they going to invest you in? What individual stocks are they going to invest you in? ETFs, the product. It's much more product focused than what a retirement planner uh, is focused on.
0: And as far as designations go, we talked about all those letters at the beginning. Sometimes with an accumulation or you just refer to them as an investment advisor, I think interchangeable terms, maybe they have passed some of their licenses, the Series 7, the 63. They might hold some health insurance licenses that allows them to work with you on those uh, types of products. When you're talking in this kind of financial world, you might hear the terms suitability and fiduciary uh, Lauren, break down for us what those two terms mean. Well, there's two different
1: regulatory standards that your advisor can fall under. There's the fiduciary obligation, which means that your advisor is fiduciarily obligated to do what is in your best interest. They have to put your interest before their own. The suitability standard just means that your advisor has to provide recommendations that are suitable for you based on your circumstance. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the best. It just has to be suitable. So there is a distinguishment between the two different standards. My thought process is if you're going to give somebody your life savings, they should probably be a fiduciary. And they're legally obligated to put your interest prior to their own.
0: And do you declare that somewhere and it's in some document or web, you know, web, or is that just sort of like an ethical standard that you would hold yourself to? Or there's some, or there's some legal, uh, ramifications too, like, if, if there would be some kind of a, I suppose, legal process about what you've done with someone's money, do you say, well, I adhere to the fiduciary standard?
1: Yeah, you the advisor cannot say they're a fiduciary if they're not a fiduciary. And generally speaking, those who were, operate within the Finra rule, as, a, as with a broker-dealer, operate underneath the suitability category. And those who operate underneath the SEC, uh, underneath the RIA,
0: uh, that's a lot of acronyms. Yeah, <laughs> Lauren, it's, it's, the SEC is FINRA. the Security
1: <laughs> and Exchange Commission. So those right, who operate federal underneath f- the SEC, government, yep, yep, operate as as fiduciaries.
0: And Finra is run by.
1: F- F- Finra is a self-regulatory organization. It's a nonprofit. It's not a government-based body.
0: I'm just keeping him on his toes here. So Bernie Madoff was most likely not a fiduciary.
1: Bernie Bernie Madoff was not a fiduciary. And here, here's the other thing with Bernie. And this is this is an important thing to note: is that whoever you give your money to, make sure they are using a third-party custodian. Bernie was not using a third-party custodian. Bernie was a third his own. Uh, custodian which means that you would give your money to bernie you would say bernie here go do your magic invest my money make me these great returns be consistent with the return pattern that's what he was promising but he would put your money in his own business accounts and then he would do whatever he wanted with it as so opposed- he could
0: take it and invest it in something super risky or some property he thinks is gonna go or he
1: would go buy one of his yachts right? oh. with, with with your money i mean he was living a very lavish lifestyle so he was taking investors' money, putting it in his business account. He would do anything he wanted with it, and part of what he would do is buy his own own personal property and activities that he liked to in, indulge in. But the other thing he would do is he would return other investors' money who re, who requested liquidations. That's how he kept it going all this time. Some investors would say, "Hey, can I get can I get a million dollars of my ten million back?" He said, "Yeah, because he had all this because money. Because he had the money coming in from these new investors." And that's when Bernie went south. His 2008 hit. And you guys remember the financial crisis of 2008? So all these investors wanted, wanted their, their money, money back. They, they didn't it, have it? It was about $7 billion that was requested in liquidations. And Bernie only had about $200 million left that left that he had free to give to them. And that's when this whole thing crumbled. Eventually, Bernie went to his son's, which was working for him, and said, Hey, guys, this is what I've been doing don't have the money left. All this is going to come out. And then the sons, his sons turned him into the FBI. But all of this was made possible because Bernie was his own custodian. If you're with an advisor, make sure they're using a third party custodian. So as an example, we use TD Ameritrade and we use Fidelity as our third party custodians. All of our clients' money is in TD Ameritrade or Fidelity. It's not in our accounts. We never touch the money. So if we call Fidelity and say, "Hey," send us Mr. and and Mrs. Smith's money, they won't do it. We cannot get our hands on our client's money. They'll
0: send it to Mr. and Mrs. Smith.
1: Now we can request Fidelity to send it to Mr. and Mrs. Smith on their behalf. We can request on their behalf, but it's going to them, it's not going to us. And that's how our clients know that we cannot be that type of Ponzi scheme because we can never touch the money because we use the third-party custodian. So we call the third-party custodian the police around their accounts. They're the police the money's always with them. They provide the 24-7 online access so they can always see where their money's at. And we're not producing the reports. Bernie was producing the reports. I was just going to ask,
0: did he do fake reports that showed fake returns based on you know some NASDAQ or Dow yeah. Jones numbers? Yeah,
1: he had to. Because in a lot of cases, the, the client A didn't even have money in client's A account. It was in Bernie's account. And Bernie was using it for all the things that Bernie wanted to do. So he was producing fictitious reports, said they were getting these great returns, that the money was present, it was there in their accounts, and in reality it wasn't in many cases.
0: And of course, think if you're the investor, you don't know to ask these questions, like Who's your third-party custodian? I mean, generally speaking, if you don't work in the industry, I think that I give my money and you're doing the right thing. You know, I trust you. So this is great information, you know, for people listening today. Ask your advisor, who where. when I write you a check or when I turn my uh, IRA over to you, Where is it sitting? Where does it go? So some really valuable stuff uh, for the listener today. Yeah.
1: Most investors, when you say third party custodian, they wouldn't even know how to define that. What what does that really mean? And unfortunately it is still an active practice where advisors can uh, be their own custodian. That, that is an active practice. So if, if I was in investor shoes, who is looking for a retirement planner, financial advisor, or a broker, my number one question to that individual, that professional would be, do you use a custodian? Who is the custodian? Research the custodian, make sure it's a legit custodian, uh, and make sure the custodian is, is, is uh, a well-known, reputable custodian.
0: As we continue our conversation today about designations and trying to learn more about what some of these letters behind the name of someone you might be working with are, Lauren, Rochelle, Lauren has some letters behind his name. What are those? certified financial planner cfp i had to look down at my paper i'm not gonna
1: lie <laughs> See, but, but you guys work with me every single day and you still have to remind yourself yeah what that he's just
0: lauren is. to us he's not you know we don't oh, yeah. at the office he does not say that we have to call him cfp lauren <laughs> merkel he just lets us call him lauren which which is of course
1: how, how it should be you guys call me a lot of things sometimes. well that's, well, that's just, fine. just like just like my daughter
0: Puppy. That's behind your back, uh, Lauren. We call you those things. It, to your yeah. face. It's always, hey, Lauren, how are you? Right. So CFP are the letters that you have behind your name. Certified Financial Planner. or what does it mean?
1: Well, it's so important in the in the planning world. If you're an investment advisor, if you're a broker, the CFP doesn't really mean a whole lot to you because you're not engaging in those types of planning activities anyway. The reason the CFP is so important to our clients and for me as far as what we do is because we do the comprehensive written plan there's only two designations that allow advisors to do the comprehensive written planning. That's the CFP. So without the CFP, I couldn't do it. And then the CHFC. So if your advisor doesn't have the CFP or CHFC, they cannot engage in the comprehensive written plan. And that's why it was so important for me to go on the journey to obtain the CFP way back in the early 2000s, because I knew the the the, comprehensive written retirement planning is really the void in this industry there's not a lot of advisors out there doing it and there is a a lot of people who are looking for that type of that type of guidance and that's why it was so important to get the CFP
2: and how did you get it
1: what'd
0: you have to do
2: what'd you have to do
1: well I took I took four years out of my life and I just studied a lot now you don't have to take four years, but I was on a casual program. So what I did is I <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny about that. Did he I was think on a, casually? I was, on, I was on a casual schedule.
0: Did he think we were gonna gloss right over the way he said th- like I like how he kept going and act like that's a serious thing. You're talking about like the six year program to get a bachelor degree. Like Yeah, it was
1: kinda like that. So to give you an idea, uh Haley and Abby here in the office, they're they're competing right now to see who get to see it. It's the CFP first. Wow! And they have a 12 month goal. So wow. I took four years. They're going for 12 months. You know, it's it's teach their own. I had a lot of stuff going on back then.
0: Hey, I was <laughs> in school for five years. All right. So, so yeah, so, we all have our you know, own what, plan. I, what I
1: really want to do is take time, absorb the information, make sure I really truly understood it, <laughs> Just and understood how I could apply it in a meaningful way our clients lives
2: Oh and it took me four years <laughs> casually four years I like that
0: I'm gonna use that when I have like a deadline around the office and be like I'm casually working on it Lauren I'll get it to you I'm trying to make sure it's meaningful to the client yes that's
1: right see that's that's the mission now back then all, all that time ago what what I had to go through is different than what Haley and Abby are going to have to go to. And I really don't know what they have to go through right now. So I'm leaving that up to them. But what I had to go through is I'd take five tests and they all centered around the uh, components of f- retirement planning, which is what I described earlier. And then there was a comprehensive test. I had to drive to Chicago is a two day exam and it was absolutely great. I remember going to Minnesota for Minneapolis for uh, a practice. It was it was actually uh, an exam course. So it was for the comprehensive exam was a course. It was like a three-day course, uh, and the gentleman teaching the class, he had his uh, J.D., he had a C.F.P., and he has had a C.P.A., and he told the class that the hardest exam of those three was the C.F.P.
0: So he'd taken the bar. J.D. is the yep. What does that stand for? It's I for know it's a law degree, like jurisprudence, diction, prudence, yeah, Latin.
1: So, so he could practice law. He was an attorney. He was a CPA. Sure. And he had his, his CFP. And he told the class the CFP was the hardest one to get.
0: All right. So I guess that makes Lauren pretty smart. We'll we'll say that. Well, or, it, was
1: a, it was an emotional roller coaster because what you when you're taking that test, you do not want to have to go through that again. Yeah. You do not. I mean, it's a disruption of your life. You go there for two days. It's out of town, uh, and just the grueling nature of what you go through so i I remember going through that two-day period i mean there was there was time frames there was hours where i felt really good about what was going on and then there was hours i was like i don't even know why i'm here yeah did i read this material sure because none of it was recognizable so after that two-day period it's a roller coaster of up and down up and down and uh to eventually at that point it took them about three months to let me know whether or not i passed because the paper was, or the test was all in paper. So it was the old school paper, pencil, <laughs> fill in the circles. Oh, yeah. Uh, but then there was also some case studies as well that we had to write in, write in answers. So well, it, it took them a while to grade all the exams. It just took about three months to figure it out.
0: Like how, how
2: far did you have to, this sounds bad. <laughs> what percentage did you have to get to pass?
1: Well, they don't tell you. Okay. And I don't, again, I don't know how they do it today. But back then, they didn't tell you. They just gave you a pass or fail. That's all it was. Hmm. and what I was told is that they designed the exam to have about half pass and have about half fail. So they don't give you a score. They just say, you did it or you didn't do it. And
0: when you heard pass, you were like, great. I don't necessarily care about the nuances of this thing, but I passed.
1: Yeah, about every week I logged on to the system to see, did I get the pass, did I get the fail? And eventually I saw the P, and I was like, Whew. Never have to do that again.
0: That's right. Glad to have it. And then glad to have, obviously, all that knowledge that then you could turn around and apply uh, in your work life with families and individuals as you help them go to and through retirement. So, designations. We got CFP. I think we got to understand that. Now, some people that work in financial planning are also CPAs. That's a term I think we're fairly familiar with, a certified public accountant. Um, is that something we should be looking for uh, with the person that's helping us plan our retirement?
1: It certainly doesn't hurt. Uh, um, any of these designations, it certainly doesn't hurt. I think one of the takeaways with, with designations or what your advisor should be doing is consistently learning. The rules are always changing. The The laws are always changing. Strategies are being developed. Product is always changing. And so you need to stay on top of the game by always learning and consistently going after these different designations is one way to, to, uh, display commitment to your clients, to the industry and to yourself and to them. And so, uh, the CPA designation is an important designation, certainly for your accountant, but it can also be very beneficial for your retirement planning firm as well. So Sean has a CPA. He was a, an active CPA and then he's been an advisor for about five years and that combination of skill sets really bodes well for him and other advisors just like him
0: yeah of course sean is a member of the merkle retirement planning team and a value member valuable member of the team retirement income certified professional and actually rochelle dresses him for halloween i just want to throw that out there
2: oh sean <laughs> i did it sean was, and i are best friends it was
0: awesome <laughs>
1: it was the best costume by
2: far <laughs>
0: A retirement income certified professional, RICP, what does it mean and why is it important?
1: This is a newer designation, but it's really applicable to what it is that we do and to other retirement planners. Because retirement planners are really trying to focus on how to deliver the best income for their families, Uh, not only at point of retirement, but also 10 years down the road. 30 years down the road. And so they, the, the RICP really focuses as on income generation strategies um, and is an imp- important designation to have if you're in the retirement planning world.
0: And also similar similarly there's a series of tests that you have to pass and 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 hours that that have to be put in there's
1: three different exams that you have to pass uh, and all of them are focused on different areas of delivering income for clients so abby just passed her third exam so as soon as she uh, becomes affiliated with the ricp uh, then she will be considered an RICP,
0: and that's Abby Hunt Rods, of course. Another valuable team. I did not dress as her member of the team. Rather, I did not dress as her for Halloween, but <laughs> perhaps maybe next, next year. year. Yeah, next year. I'm, I'm not. I don't think I could pull it off. She's confident and beautiful and smart and a great mom. And I don't know if I can wear that Halloween Are costume.
1: You you're not confident, great, and smart, <laughs> and a great
0: mom. I don't know. Abby Abby wears that costume pretty well, and she's a great uh, a great advisor as well. Investment advisor representative. That's a term we hear sometimes in the industry. What's important about that?
1: Well, the registered investment investment advisor representative basically is an, an advisor who's associated with an, a registered investment advisory firm. So the IAR, Investment Advisor Representative, is a part of the RIA, Registered Investment Advisor Firm. And and the the important part of the IAR and the RIA is they are all affiliated with the SEC. So the SEC uh, oversees them, which puts them underneath the fiduciary category.
0: Securities and Exchange Commission, branch of the federal government. That branch of the federal government does regulate a lot of what uh, financial advisors or retirement planners do, and even more so, right, post-Bernie Madoff, where extra regulations were put in place in reaction to that? Yeah,
1: regulations are always changing, uh, especially after some event like Bernie Madoff. It, It was really created, the SEC was really created after the Great Depression. So with the Securities and Exchange Act, uh, 1933, 1934 is when the uh, SEC was created. So it's been around for a very long time, Uh, and it is a a part of the government body. Uh, The SEC also oversees FINRA, which is the self-regulatory body uh, organization. So it it does. It regulates FINRA, but it also regulates directly RIAs and IIRs.
2: So your Series 65, does that make you an investment Advisor representative? Yes. Okay.
1: Yep. Which allows you to provide advice underneath the uh, underneath the RIA.
2: And most most employees here at Merkle have that.
1: Yeah, almost everybody. And anybody, certainly, who's client-facing, who is in, in a position where they could give advice or explain investment product has the, has the 65.
0: Okay, so as we kind of bring this thing in summary, you know, we've talked about a lot of uh, acronyms, a lot of initials. What's probably the most important thing that the listener either takes away, Lauren, or maybe asks the person that they are interviewing to help them plan their financial future?
1: The the biggest takeaway is ask whoever you are interviewing many questions about who they are, how they got to where they are, where they're trying to go as an individual, and, and if they have a company, a company, and then how they operate their business. And what I mean by operate that business is number one, do they have a third party custodian? Do they use a third party custodian? So if you give them your money to invest, is it going to be in their business accounts or is it going to be in a third party custodian like a TD Ameritrade or a Fidelity? If it's going to be in their business accounts because they don't use a third party custodian, then walk away. It's not worth the risk. Not saying everybody who doesn't use a third party custodian is like Bernie Madoff, but it certainly opens the door for additional risk that it, to me is just not worth it.
0: In FINRA.org, that's F I N R A.org, there you can type in the person you're working with type in their name, and what can you find out there?
1: Well, you can go to the, through that website. There's a, something called Broker Check. and Broker Check, you can type in a little bit of information about your advisor, and then you can see if there's any complaints or any type of negative history on your advisor, whether they're underneath FINRA or underneath the SEC. That information's available out there. And, that, and that's an important part of the due diligence check.
0: What about compensation? You know, obviously, clearly, Bernie Madoff was buying yachts with the money. And and we see now you did a great job of explaining how it happened. Um, You know, the work you guys do, it's not volunteer work. Compensation is part of it. Employees help make it all possible. How does that conversation go? And what should we be asking?
1: That's a part about how your advisor get, operates the business is how they get compensated. And, and you're right. Of all advisors need to make money. You want your advisor to make money because if your advisor is not making money or enough money, then they can't be in business and they cannot help you with uh, achieving your financial goals. So, you know, in working with an advisor, they make money. It's important to understand how they make money and how they are going to be how you will be compensating them. So that would be also at the top of the list is how do you get, how does the advisor get compensated and how much of your portfolio are they going to charge you? I'd say the final thing is trust your gut. You may not know always the right questions to to ask. And even if you ask all of the right questions, you may not know how to interpret all the responses that you get. But I think most people are probably intuitive enough that if there are some red flags, even if you can't overtly or explicitly explain what those red flags are, a lot of times your gut will tell you what you need to know. So if something just doesn't feel right, if it doesn't set right, there are a lot of retirement planners out there. There are a lot of investment advisors out there. Go to the next one and go to the next one, and go to the next one until it feels right.
0: If you want more information about retiring, of course, there is a lot that goes into it. Knowing your advisor is one important piece, but there's the incomes, there's, there's the taxes, there's the long-term care. There's different housing options as you move to and through retirement. We've done a lot of podcasts and television shows on this. So a great resource is our YouTube channel. What is it, Lauren?
1: We make this really simple. All you have to do is go to YouTube, and type in Merkle retirement planning. You'll see all the TV shows that we have out there on our YouTube channel, and you'll be able to listen to the podcast as well.
0: One more resource, MerklePlan.com, Merkel spelled M-E-R-K-L-E. There's a tax planning playbook there. There's five things you need to know before you retire. And then there's also a list of the classes that we offer. There's a class for women, a class for pre-retirees, a class for retirees, a class on taxes. If you're just craving the knowledge and want to sit down and really immerse yourself in it, there's opportunities there. But we'll keep covering all of the pieces that guide you to and through retirement on this podcast. It's Retiring Today, and we thank you for listening. Is that a little better? Um,
1: that you, was better. Can okay. you listen to podcasts on our YouTube channel?
0: Nope.
2: <laughs> I was like I
0: was like, wow, Rochelle, that's something for you to work on
2: today. In my head I was like, how can I get that done before this <laughs> podcast goes out? Can you just flip that one out? <laughs> is that a thing? It is not no. a thing.